Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your girl, Naisha Stone, and we're on the very first episode of the Carved in Stone podcast, and I'm very excited because we have a Milwaukee native, Santana Coleman, who is an Emmy women, Emmy women winning filmmaker. Um, I just watched her, her documentary, When Claude Got Shot, this morning, and boy, did she have me in tears. <laughs> How you doing, Santana? I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to know I'm the first guest. I didn't I didn't realize that. <laughs> you are the first guest. Um, I've reached out to a few people, but I feel like definitely you needed to be first. Aww. Um, so can you we just start off telling us a little bit about you and how you got into film? I know you said you're a lifelong storyteller. Um, but what is it about storytelling that really, you know, that you love so much? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't really know what it is about. I guess storytelling is like really a, a way to connect for me. Like it's it's the way that I make sense of the world, I think. Um, so that's why it's probably so important for me. Everybody I meet, I almost like form them into a character in my mind, which is so weird. And every story I hear, I just, I don't know. I, I, I Again, I really just look at storytelling as a way to connect all of us in the world. Um, all of us have our own stories. All of us get to certain points in our stories for certain reasons and, and decisions. And and I'm just kind of fascinated by how people get to where they are and how they view the world and things like that. Um, so I just find story in every avenue. Um, and then to answer your other question, how did I become a filmmaker? I mean, the long story short of that is that um, I've always been a storyteller. I've always, you know, just consistently... Um, indulged in stories, whether that be watching stories, reading stories. I've always been a reader. I've always been a person who loves to watch movies and TV and tell stories to other people and things like that. And and it just somehow transformed into film. And and yeah, it's yeah. It, I could go deeper than that if you want. But oh, oh we gonna go deep. Different. We gonna go deep. Uh, okay. I'll talk about the storytelling. So for me, it's a little bit different. Um, I love hearing people's stories, but mine a little bit more selfish. I love that I can get anybody to talk to me. So I'm not like really experimenting with that. And so I used to just randomly walk up to people and see if I can get them to tell me certain stuff about them, like not negative or anything, but it was really cool to me. It was like, I don't know if I have this certain thing about me or how I ask questions, but I was able to, you know, just get people to tell me their stories. And so I kind of took that with me and was like, I have to use this in a good way because <laughs> yeah. I know I'm really I, if I want to be an investigative reporter I could I've done it before and I hate how it feels I really yeah. <laughs> but um I want to get into the documentary so when Claude got shot so um I've been hearing a lot of stuff about the documentary like I said I watched it this morning I really didn't know what I was getting myself into oh my god I'm from Milwaukee and I understand what goes on in the city I understand people get shot every day but you don't get to see that other side of it like okay mm -hmm. this person got shot yeah they went to jail but this person got shot and now they're going through all this stuff you got to you show so many different sides through this documentary and where how, oh my goodness how did y'all even come up with uh wanting to interview Claude and yeah I'll just start there yeah so I am the co-producer of the film and I'm also the impact campaign advisor which we could talk about later because the impact part comes after the film is made so that's my position now um, but the film came about from the director, who's, whose name is Brad Lichtenstein. Um, he and Claude were good friends for about 20 years since their kids were younger. Their kids went to daycare or something together. And um, every time that Claude and his family comes to visit, because it's five of them, they kind of disperse into different family and friends' homes to stay. And, um, you know, at this particular time, June 2014, Claude's son, Soul, was staying with Brad and playing with his son. 
I shouldn't say playing at the time they were teenagers. So hanging out with his son. <laughs> um, and, you know, when Claude came back for his class reunion and everything happened, unfortunately, Brad had to be the one to break the news to Soul that his father was shot. Um, after Claude was, you know, discharged from the hospital, he actually recovered at Brad's house. Um, and so one of the scenes that you see in the film when the detective is showing him the lineup pictures, that's actually in Brad's house. Um, and at the time, Brad's wife, Kim, who was also just phenomenal in her own right, you know, she has her own documentary about her. Um, and so they were filming a documentary about her at the time. And that scene was actually filmed by that film crew. Um, and so after, you know, he, I guess after a few days of him recovering, Brad already being a filmmaker for 20 plus years, being his friend for 20 plus years, I think the conversation naturally started to happen. It's like, you know, what can we do about this problem? And they agreed together to start documenting the process and, you know, turn this into a film. And so then I came on about a year and a half later, I was um, unfortunately at uw Platteville <laughs> getting ready to graduate and I needed an internship in order to graduate. And I already knew I wanted to be a filmmaker since middle school. And I did not even know of 371 Productions, which is the company that produced this. Um, and it was a com it's a company in Milwaukee. And so I was really kind of nervous about, you know, how I'm going to start my film career in Milwaukee out of all places. <laughs> um, but luckily I knew someone who knew someone who knew someone and they introduced me to Brad and I had an interview and I got the job. So, you know, that's kind of where that journey started. And I so I started as an intern. And then over the next few years, I worked my way up to a co-producer, which is not at all how the trajectory happens ever. Uh, <laughs> People talk about that. Like, they yeah. see, you know, they're like Emmy winner. Like, she already knew. Like, she'd been doing it since she was younger. But, like, no, it's that hustle. It's oh, that I know somebody. I, know somebody I'm, I got this opportunity. I'm going to work yeah. hard as hell to make sure I do as good as I can. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. I think a lot of people can see that, that, that title and be like, oh, my God, this is my first film out of college. And I have other stuff I'm working on. But this is the first film out of college this is my first you know professional documentary that I've ever worked on my first professional film that I've ever worked on this is the first film that I've that's been finished like everything else I'm doing are all kind of works in progress right now so yeah it's not you know I don't get me wrong like you said I, I did the work to be here now don't get me wrong it wasn't, it wasn't given to me uh and usually a producer is not I mean a producer could be multiple things but usually a producer is not a creative role but on when Claude got shot, um, me and Brad were the only two working on it for years and years and years. And so I was, if you think about it, I was kind of like second in command for the creative aspect. Um, so when you see it, when you see photos of us at the Emmys, I earned my spot to be there. You know, I wasn't just doing, I this wasn't just a job for me. This was definitely my baby just as much as it was his baby. Um, and together we were able to kind of, you know, with Claude and with all of our other subjects and all of our crew members, we were able to pump this out. So I'm glad you said that you deserve to be there. Cause I think sometimes as black women, what is it? Imposter syndrome. Um, sometimes we really feel like, like I was recently working with uh, quad graphics on a commercial for the running rebels. And I basically really helped with the whole entire project, but I had to have somebody else tell me like, no, that was really your vision. Like, this is what they gave you, but you really helped produce that. So for you to say that, like that, that really means a lot because we need as black women to start saying like, no, I deserve this. I deserve to be in this room. Not because it is, not, but because I worked hard and I deserve this shit. So yes. I'm, I'm really glad yes. you said that. I kind of want to talk about like the actual documentary itself. So Claude, he was visiting uh, for, you said a reunion, right? Mm -hmm. So he was sitting outside on his phone, checking some emails when uh, a young man, 15 years old, came up to him and shot him. Um, I'm gonna leave it at that. So can you just go on and, try, and explain the documentary? 
Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you're right. Claw was shot in the face during an attempted carjacking by a 15 year old boy. Two days later after Claw was shot, well, I'll say he survives. He drives himself to the hospital and survives. Um, two days later after Claw was shot, the same 15 year old boy and his group of friends um, tries to rob another woman, Victoria Davison Adams, who shoots him in self-defense. Um, and then the rest of the film takes place over the course of five years where we follow each um, character in, in their journeys and learn more about their backgrounds and their stories, you know, and, and kind of really dive into how these three strangers connected in this weekend of gun violence. And especially in the city of Milwaukee, how they have so many more similarities to each other than you could ever imagine. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the film. I know she's simplified it, but when I tell you, yeah. like, they really <laughs> did their thing with this documentary. Um, Thank you. Like, y'all had Claude's perspective. Y'all had Simon's perspective. Y'all even had the shooter's perspective. Like, that was so different for me. And then you had inside the court, you had them actually, Claude and, you know, the young man talking to each other. Um, throughout that process, was it hard for you to experience it? So you said five years of working on this film. So, like, straight out of college, like, how was that for you to be in this situation where you got it, like, it was a really deep conversation. He had a lot of debt, he almost died. And like, you know, you're there with a camera. So how how was that perspective for you? You know, I'll say um, when I first, and I've always been honest about this, when I first joined the team, I was coming in as a starry-eyed, bright-eyed, fresh out of college filmmaker, right? And I was like, oh my God, I'm working on a film. And for a minute, that was my mentality. It wasn't, I wasn't so tuned in yet, just yet that no, this is real life. These are real people. This is their real story, but we're making a film about it. I was more, cause when I first came in, I remember my first day working at 371, I was, um, I was reviewing footage. That was my first day. So footage that had already been shot. I was catching up on what had already been done. I had not met Claude yet. I was already catching up on the, the stuff that was already shot so I can get familiar with the story. I think after that process is probably, and then meeting Claude and then starting to film is probably when I really dived into like, oh my God, this is real people and real shit that happened to them. And even to this day, like my son is eight years old and every time he sees Claude, he's met him a billion times, but every time he sees him, is, is he really feels like he's a celebrity. And like, he feels like the people in the movie are like actors. And I'm, I have to always remind him like, no, this is their real lives. Like this is real shit. And people, a lot of people actually, who meet Claude when we do screenings and stuff feel like they, whether they're adults, whether they're teenagers, they look at him like, oh my God. But it takes a minute for us all to step back and be like, okay, wait, while you did amazing in the film and while we, and, cause getting to see somebody like Claude, getting to see his um, journey over the course of five years is like, he lived that over the course of five years. And I don't think he got to see it in the way we got to capture it right so like you if you look back at yourself five years ago you might have a few little memories but that's it but if we had a camera following you for five years every twist and turn every you know decision you made every um roller coaster up and down that you that you went through you would really be able to appreciate yourself more from watching that and so I think us as audiences and sometimes as filmmakers we see that journey over that five-year journey over the course of an hour and a half and we can look at him with such admiration but it, it took a minute in person to be able to get to that you know what I mean um and so eventually when I did get there it was it was some hard days for sure it was days where I was crying on set it was days where I was crying in the office it was a lot of hard days for sure but it was so rewarding because I knew from the moment I started working on this that like this is going to be fucking amazing.
Like I knew it was going to be amazing. So, so there was a lot more, you know, there was some days that just felt like work. There were some days that felt very emotional. There were some days that was a mix of the two. There were some days that was more stressful. Some days that was more happy. You know, it was, it was definitely a journey, but um, to work on the impact now shows me what all of that was for, you know, and we'll get into that later, but. I was like, we're going to get an impact song. I want to stop on the word humanize. That's a big reason why I cover positive news because I feel other people's emotions and it really drags me down sometimes. Yes. So I can't physically, like mentally do that type of work because it would destroy me because it literally hurts. Like mm -hmm. that makes me upset. Like, I can't believe you did this. Like what? Mm -hmm. Like, and but on the journal side, it's like, you're not supposed to have these feelings. Like, no, I've got yep. these feelings. And yeah. in, the, in the documentary, uh, Claude did when they were meeting, when he was meeting with the young man, he was like, I want you to humanize this situation because I, I was watching with my family. We definitely felt like the young man at a certain point didn't really understand what he did. And I, and I think that's a big problem that we have in Milwaukee. Um, our young people just don't understand that they're humans. We're humans. We're not invincible. Just like that, we can be gone. Just like that, your life can be taken, whether that's prison or you dying or uh, a disease or, you know, whatever. So I really hope that the film and just people see that Milwaukee, that we're f full of humans, but we all need to see each other as humans. And I just think that's a world problem. We don't humanize each other anymore because we see deaths all the time. Yes. all the time and yes. it's just like oh okay let's give them their flowers on social media let's get these big old posts and then it's gone the next day mm -hmm. and that's something I applaud you and the whole team for being able to stick out through the story and tell Claw's story because it's very important yeah. and it's a it's a bigger story that we need to be telling about Milwaukee because the city is being ran by young people mm -hmm. um doing a lot of bad things they just need a little guidance to understand like yeah. it's more life out here we got New York we got Jamaica yes. I mean there's so many things and they only know Milwaukee they don't even really necessarily go to the lakefront they don't necessarily go over here and so mm -hmm. they're they're missing um out on a lot is there I guess we can just honestly hop into the impact part what what does that really mean and what type of impact do you want do you want this documentary to have yeah I think um, our documentary or our impact campaign definitely lends to the the conversation about empathy. It lends to the conversation about humanity um, and and also grace. Like on the other side of like humanizing this this these people, humanizing this documentary, humanizing all of that. There's also grace. Like you really see Claude eventually get to a point of forgiveness. And and like you said, a lot of people watch this film and they some people feel like they want to throw Nathan away. Like, nope, he still don't understand. Nope, whatever, give him 20 years. That's what he need. That's what he get. Oh, well, he, he AWOL twice, right? But a lot of times I think we need to step back and give, and like you said, humanize the situation and give grace to people. We all make mistakes. We all make bad decisions. And we're all teenagers at some point. We all did really stupid stuff as teenagers. Mm -hmm. Okay, in the 90s, we weren't doing, the early 2000s, I should say, since I was born in the 90s, we weren't doing this capacity of stuff no, i mean we we it, we used to take cars but we'd be too scared to crash them that we like we like, <laughs> you know like we were not this bold at all but at the end of the day all teens have something in their brain that that makes them want to just rebel a little and do bad things or whatever but it's just the difference that like black teenagers don't get those second chances all the time that white teenagers do um and and a lot of times they're not mentally mature enough to understand that their choices are having just dire consequences and like life altering consequences. And even when it's right there in their face, like what, you know, like seeing Nathan in court, it's just not quite clicking yet. 
So within our impact campaign, there's a lot of components, right? Like we obviously want to like have the conversations about gun violence. We want to elevate those conversations, continue to have those conversations, not only with the black community, but with everybody because gun violence affects everyone. Um, we also want to highlight the importance of intervention. So we definitely want to have those conversations about what can we do with our teens these days to get them on a different track to, to kind of prevent gun violence. Um, and then we also want to look deeper into the, the deeper rooted issues of gun violence, because our slogan with our impact campaign is that gun violence doesn't begin or end with the bullet. And when you really sit in that, mm. gun violence does not begin or end with the bullet. That is the epitome of the film. Um, there's so many years to look back to, to kind of question how gun violence started, why it started, why it's rising, all of that stuff. And there's so many years to look forward as far as how, how long gun violence affects you. Because even though Claude is done with filming, he's still very much involved in our impact campaign and he's still affected by this. You know, this happened in 2014. So, um, so there's a lot, there's a lot that we're doing with our impact campaign. You know, we're definitely um, starting at the ground with the community, doing a lot of community screenings, conversations, workshops, different things like that. We're definitely very um, involved with the youth. You know, we brought the youth in for a genius bank to watch the film and have a conversation. Um, so we're doing a lot of that stuff. We are, I can't really say everything that we're doing that's not out right now, but we do have a curriculum that's out. So we're about to get ready to push that out to schools and programs along with the film. Um, we have, we could, we commissioned True School and well, I should say we partnered with True School to create a mural on 10th and North that we're really, really proud of that has Claude's face. Um, and that really just pushes forth the narrative of peace and community and love and, you know, remembering to give each other that grace and come together. Um, you know, just so many different things that we're doing with our impact campaign that I'm, I'm loving just tons of collaboration and partnerships and helping elevate the other, um, organizations in Milwaukee that work within the intersection of gun violence, youth, you know, building community, just all of that. So kind of like what you do, it's all about positivity and, and you know, out here trying to, trying to get people to have these conversations and, and come back together and bring back together that narrative of, of it takes a village. Cause that's, that's really what um, we're missing these days. One yeah. shout out to True School, they dope. Uh, my nephew uh, did some break dancing with them, and they just my been... son did too. <laughs> they were super cool. I, I really yes. love True School. I've known them basically since I started Carbon Stone. They've been very supportive. Um, so yeah. shout out to them. I saw on your bio that you so does the curriculum that you you're doing with the film does that uh, coincide with your your film teaching that you do? Are those one and the same, or are those different? And could you describe yeah. that? Because I did some actual. I did a, a teaching with some juveniles at the Velar Phillips Center. And that was very different for me. It was virtual, but it was very different. So can you describe how you got into that? And what's that like for you? I love you doing your research. Um, <laughs> so I started teaching um, juvenile offenders filmmaking because actually during a screening of When Claw Got Shot, I was recommended to a program called POP, which is called, which stands for Positive Options Program. It's run out of St. Charles. It's a court appointed program for youth where they have to complete 80 hours mm -hmm. in order to fulfill some of their probation um requirements I guess and so I went there to screen the film for them um I want to say probably a year ago at this point almost a year ago at least and um when I went that was the hardest screening I think I've ever done probably to not hard in a different way to this day um it was youth in the room right so it was about let's say 10 youth and a lot of them like I said are already within the juvenile justice system and after watching the film, there was a lot of conversation about how Nathan could have been a better criminal. 
how they would have just killed Claw so they didn't go to jail. It just so much warped mentality that it like made me so sad. It made me walk out that room like, what the fuck just happened? What did I like? Did I even do my job? Like, you know, um, it was it was hard. And so after that conversation, I spoke to the program manager who was a new, uh, he was new to the position. He was from New York, his, you know, first time in Milwaukee kind of thing. And he was telling me like, you know, we need people in this program who actually care about the kids, who actually want to help them be better and not just be here for a job. And he was like, I'm looking for different things to open their, to their minds to new things. And I was wondering if you wanted to come teach filmmaking to them. And so that's kind of how I got the job. And now I go once a week and teach them filmmaking, um, and it is still hard, you know, but what I've learned, um, and shout out to Shalina, let me just quickly say shout out to Shalina from True School, because she definitely helped me before I even started. She sat down with me and helped me come up with a curriculum and just kind of helped me be able to like talk to teens in a way that was going to work. And one of the things I'll say that I learned is that you got to meet them where they are. You can't have such high expectations of them that they're just going to meet you where you are you have to meet them where they are and a lot of times that means we're not going to get a film done in this amount of time we're not gonna you know what I'm saying but but it means just continuously working with them meeting them where they are sometimes they have bad days too and it's okay as teenagers to have bad days sometimes that means today we're not working on a film today we're talking about mental health today we're taking a break and I'm gonna listen to y'all what do y'all need for me right now you know so it's it's a lot of that um and so, yeah, that, but, and I have done my curriculum, the one clog I shot curriculum a little bit with them, but I'll be honest and say that they, they were a harder group to do the curriculum with. I think the curriculum will work better with like lower to medium risk students or people in schools. Let's just say that people in schools, people in programs, things like that. But for this particular program, especially when it's an after school thing, they've already been to school all day. So their attention is not all the way there. Um, that particular curriculum has not been super successful, but I have done my curriculum, you know, um, in other ways and, and it has been successful. So, yeah. Shout out to you for not, um, for definitely not giving up. I taught one semester at um, Bella R. Phillips uh, Center and it was virtual. And it was my first experience really uh, talking honestly to juveniles. And it was definitely different because what I saw on my screen, so like while I'm looking at you, I saw bars like actual prison bars. So they got to go like literally like how a prison, like, you know, how a prison, like all the prisons up here. And then they had like a sitting area and that's where our class took, took place. And, you know, I'm young. So they try to flirt with me and all this stuff. And honestly, I didn't have guidance on how to create a curriculum. I didn't have guidance on meet them where they're at. So I don't know how effective my stuff was. I was just trying to give them something else to focus on. Some people like this, some people different. And it was something definitely hard for me so I know it had to be hard for them because I could just log out and go on about my day but they're still sitting in there and that and that hurt my feelings and actually I won't even lie that wasn't my first time at a what else first time at juvenile center when I first started teaching it was at St. A's and so the girl I must I must say this I found out they were not treating those girls as good as they should have been I love them girls it was they they started telling me things that went on and I ended up losing the position because I think they told me too much but I really love them girls. They they were they were they were great people. And so my question to you is, what do you want people to know about our current youth? Whether it's in Milwaukee, whether it's in Atlanta, whatever. But like you know, people always saying stuff about our youth, and especially black people. I mean, about our black youth. Um. So what do you want people to know about our youth and how great they really are? Though? <laughs> right. 
what I I'll start this off. I'll start answering your question by saying I also sort of kind of teach at Villar Phillips, not to the capacity that you did, but I did come to two screenings and I use our curriculum when clog I shot curriculum on them. And that was so rewarding. Um, it was in person. Luckily, I was able to do it in person. And it was just amazing because we have a um, activity in our curriculum called blackout poetry. And it's basically for people who don't know, it's basically where you take a, a piece of writing and you use a permanent marker and you scratch out the words you don't want and keep the words you do to create a new message and a new poem. And then you could even like use your marker to kind of create images within the, you know, within the areas that you scratch out. And so I had a few examples and I came and showed them a few examples. And um, well, first of all, before we get to the blackout poetry, we did some of the other parts in the curriculum where it was really conversation about, you know, why kids are stealing cars and, and decision-making and consequences. And they were so aware. I was so surprised that so many kids in there, like they just had so much potential and they were so self-aware as to why they've been doing the things they've been doing, what they need in order to not do it. What, what is happened in their lives that brought them to that point and the hurt that, you know, came before all of that, those bad decisions. Um, and so that was amazing. Number one, to see them so aware, but then when we did the blackout poetry, that was like an aspect to get them into their creative bag and to get them to be, you know, artsy and Oh my God, I wish, I don't know if I kept those or not, but I wish I did. I think I let them keep them. They drew the most beautiful pictures. They made the most beautiful poetry and, and it was hard. Don't get me wrong. The blackout poetries are always a little tough for the kids because they're like, what? You gave me this long piece of writing. I'm supposed to <laughs> make something new of this. How do I know what to make? And so I walked around and I helped people like, you know, what type of message do you want to say? Um, okay, well, let's black this out. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then you can make an image. People were just being so creative. And so it was just amazing. Um, so that led me to understand that number one, every youth is different. Every child is different. Every teenager is different and they all require something different. They're all missing something different. There's a lack of something somewhere if they're in the juvenile justice system, right? And we can't come in and try to be everything to them. You know, I, I only got, I'm here for an hour today. I only got you for an hour. I can't come in and be everything, but I hope, I hope that the curriculum I had, I hope that the activity I had stays with you forever, you know, um, and I think also what helped me is that when I was younger, I, I was in a lot of pre-college programs. Mm. And um, I, I'm sure you know Kwabna and Muhib, just pillars in the community of Milwaukee, right? So they're poets. They're, um, they do tons of stuff in the, in the um, uh, school systems and stuff like that. And they came out, I've known them since I was like 12. They came out to one of the pre-college programs I was in when I was younger. And they were so life-changing for me in so many ways. And even if it was only for, again, one day in that pre-college program, they were life-changing for me. And I always remembered them. And they still to this day are like uncles to me or something or brothers, or I don't know what you would call them since they're older. But um, but they had this one writing called Truth Is. And they would turn on this sad-ass music and they would have all the kids just like spill their guts on the paper of like, Truth Is, I wish my dad was around. Truth Is, I hate myself. Whatever you want to say, and it was just like so many tears, so much release, just so much everything. And I, I always try to channel that when I go in these rooms that like, I can't come in here and be your mom and I'm not trying to be, but I'm trying to come in here and show you something different. And I'm trying to come in here and show you that I care. Even if I'm here for an hour, I'm trying to show you that there's someone here who's going to listen to you. So I think that we just have to individually listen to them and again, meet them where they are. And, um, 
yeah, I think they just, they need a lot more love and attention right now than, than we've been giving them. Like, I think we need to stop trying to throw them away so easily and figure out how we can help them. Yeah, definitely. I feel like some of the reasons I've been hearing is that they're bored. Um, I I remember, uh, what year was that when Mayfair was like, you gotta be 18 to freaking go to the mall. Like what? That don't even make sense. And so like stuff like that, they're Mayfair, Brookfield Square is too far. Um, how do they get access to the lakefront? Like all of these different things that we kind of experience, like even Butler Skateland, like that's still cracking on a Sunday for adult nights. But I remember Friday and Saturdays. If you like 14 to 18, you there. I mean, every my mom used to drop me off by myself and I would have a blast. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Me and my cousin would take the bus every weekend to go skate. Yeah. Be like, man. Yep. And then the air hits you, you'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of want to change the topic a little bit. So um also with my research, you have your co-creator of a comedy series. Mm-hmm. Um got a few more minutes a comedy series called black girl black girl training what is that about and um yeah what is it about so black girl training is a collaboration with me and my creative partner emily keister emily it's loosely based on emily's life she was a black woman who was adopted into a white family and raised in rural wisconsin where she was kind of the only black person um and then she came to milwaukee for college and it was kind of a culture shock of like goddamn I guess I'm not black because I don't understand all these black references. I haven't seen all these movies. People are laughing at me. I'm not dressed the same. Um, And so we actually met at 371. She was an intern um, there as well. So she did some stuff on When Claw Got Shot and some other projects at 371. Um, And for the longest, we didn't talk much because honestly, we just didn't. I realized she wasn't, I hate to say it like that, but back then, okay, back then, younger Santana was just used to a certain type of black girl. And I was just like, "Mm, she's not really my type of vibe, right? So there was a minute that we didn't talk. And then eventually I found out her mom was white and I was like, makes sense. And then, you know, we continued to talk and I started to really notice her talent more so like, damn, okay, you actually a really good filmmaker. Um, And so I got the opportunity to do a fellowship for black public media, yada, yada, yada. And I asked her to come on and help me create a project. And as we just sat down to get to know each other um, and the writer that we hired at the time, all three of us sat down and just kind of got to talking and knowing each other again, trying to find story within our lives. She told us her life and we were like, "Er, the record scratched. And we just were like, wait a minute. So you never seen Friday before? You never had dressing before? You never did this before? You never, just like all these black experiences. And I was like, why don't we put all of our lives together and make a series where it's about this transracial adoptee girl who comes to Milwaukee for college. She meets these two roommates who were based on like me and our writer at the time, um, who then teach her how to be black. And we're gonna give you a real life black girl training too. So (laughs) we kind of went from there and we started to craft the series um, and also giving Emily real life black girl training. Um, And it took off from there, honestly, people loved the show. As soon as we created it in 2018, we were doing a lot of live videos on on, um, Facebook, telling Emily's story, telling my story, just like, getting the word out there. Eventually we won a national crowdfunding competition. We kept winning grants, just all these great things were happening. And that led us all to eventually hiring a woman on, well, gaining a mentor through one of the competitions who was the physical head of production at Amazon. And she eventually came on as our executive producer. And then during the pandemic, she taught us how to write a series. So then we turned the film from a film into a series and um it's been up ever since then and I, i'll just say i know people are still waiting on it but we are still <laughs> trying to sell the series right now so um 
So yeah, that's we're really excited about that. I actually have a call today about Black Girl Training. So um, it's it's coming soon, y'all. For y'all who remember it from all those years ago, it, it's definitely still in the works and it's coming soon. Do you dope? What the? I, I'm always needing somebody to film stuff. So when I can <laughs> afford you, when Carbonstone has the budget, I just yes. want to work together like on like some video interviews and you know yes. stuff like that. Um, since we're since the time is running out soon, um. What do you want people to know about you as a filmmaker um, and specifically the stuff that you learned through when Claude got shot? So like, how have you grown within those years since you graduated college to like who you are now? <clears throat> I've grown so much. I think really the biggest thing is that I always had this plan for my life. I always knew I wanted to be a director. I always knew I wanted to tell stories. And I just had this like, I'm going to be a millionaire by 30 type thing. You know, like, like most people do. You know, I had this timeline on my life and I had this goal that I was just like shooting for. And while that's good to always have a plan and a goal, what I've learned over the last few years is to just let life take you where it's going to take you. Because I never thought, I didn't even know impact was a job. And now I'm doing impact and I absolutely love it. I just got another job doing impact for another film about hair discrimination um, and black hairstyles. And I, I'm just so ecstatic to, to be on that team now. Um, and just I'm realizing that all of my films and all of my work, all of the things I'm doing has to do with social justice in some way or another. I'm realizing that, you know, networking is getting me indoors. I never thought I would be in. I didn't think I would be teaching film like that wasn't really what I wanted to do. But now I'm in a I'm in a place in my life where I'm just allowing God and the universe and everything to to take me where where it wants me to go. Just let the wind blow me where I'm supposed to go. Um and that led me to a freaking Emmy so far. So I'm hoping that it continues to lead to success, um, you know, and yeah, just continuing to network and and figure out where I'm supposed to be in the world and, you know, having fun along the way, not well, taking you, life too serious. You great, like for real. And oh, key you. thing is uh, stay open. That's one thing I'm definitely learning is just be open. Like you said, yes. you have these set goals and be like, this don't happen, my life over. I be thinking like that sometimes. Yeah. Like, I yeah. want this, like this, like this, like this. And then you be like, nope, I'm gonna just let it go. And then somehow it kind of comes back, but in a whole different yes. way. He be like, dang, yes. this kind of better than when I thought it was. Yes. I like this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I really appreciate you for being the very first guest. Um, This is the end of our first episode of Carbon Stone Podcast with Santana Coleman, the Emmy winning filmmaker, um, Milwaukee native. If y'all haven't already, make sure y'all figure out how to go see When Claw Got Shot. Um, Actually, how can they see it? Yeah, I was going to say, can I plug that real quick? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> you can see it right now. If you live in Milwaukee, definitely look out for screening opportunities. You can look on our website, whenclawgotshot.org, or you can look at my social media, uh, Santana, the creator on uh, Instagram to figure out when we're having screenings. Because um, usually those are free. Those are the free opportunities. Other than that, if you want to be lazy and sit at home, that's cool. We got you, okay? Anywhere where you can rent or buy films right now. So Amazon, um, Apple TV, YouTube, iTunes, all of those good places. You can rent when Claw got shot for $4 right now. Um, and we are gearing up for streaming pretty soon. So hopefully you'll see us on streaming in a few months. But for now, go go spend a little $4 or, you know, catch us out here in these Milwaukee streets and uh, or or some virtual screenings. So yeah, for more information, go to whenclawgotshot.org. Yeah, well, thank you, Santana. And again, this Carbon Stone podcast where our articles come to life. And always remember, in the end, everything will be carved in stone. In the end, everything will be carved in stone.